0: Welcome to Right Spokane Perspective with your host Tim Ben. It's opinion, fact, information, and your alert system. Stay tuned and enjoy the show. And welcome back to Right Spokane Perspective. It's political or medical malpractice. This Monday episode on Right Spokane Perspective, Shannon.
1: Yeah, we're going to talk about hearing Christ, not chaos. After watching TV news for hours each day, the elderly man grew agitated and anxious, worried the world was falling apart and taking him with it. Please turn it off, his grown daughter begged him. Just stop listening. But the man continued to spend an excessive amount of time on social media and other news sources. What we listen to matters deeply. We see this in Jesus' encounter with Pontius Pilate. Responding to criminal charges brought against Jesus by religious leaders, Pilate summoned him and asked, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus replied with a stunning question, is that your own idea or did others talk to you about me? The same question tests us in a world of panic, are we listening to chaos or to Christ? Indeed, my sheep listen to my voice, he said. I know them, and they follow me. Jesus used this figure of speech to explain himself to doubting religious leaders. As with a good shepherd, he said that his sheep follow him because they know his voice, but they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. As our good shepherd, Jesus bids us to hear him above all. May we listen well and find his peace. Loving God, in a noisy world, when you speak to our heart, mind, and spirit through the scriptures, may we hear you above the chaos. In Jesus' name, amen.
0: What a fitting prayer. I hope we do hear him above the chaos because, Lord, we are in a lot of trouble here on this earth and the people that we idolize. I'll tell you, the Grammy Awards... Got a lot of people surprised. Obviously, the people that were handing out the awards and receiving awards were plenty okay with Satan getting accolades on national stage at the Grammy Awards. Uh, But we don't need to cover those folks because... I think it's a big distraction that Satan's in charge of. Instead, we need to pay attention to what we're doing in our lives and what the government's doing to our future population, culture, and children. The Biden administration did a State of the Union Address. And the one nice thing about the State of the Union Address is that if you're not paying attention to what's actually going on in the world, it seems like everything's fine. Because, of course, inflation is going down. Everything is looking up. We have a strong nation and every State of the Union address for every president in my lifetime has always said in the State of the Union that it's perfectly fine. They have everything under control. And the reason why is because you're listening to the administration that's in power.
1: But it's not fine.
0: Well, I think it's fine if if we still put God in control of it because things can turn around if if we look at doing the right things, but oftentimes we're not. Just one thing on the State of the Union address that I want to discuss, because there's so many things wrong with that speech, and of course there's both sides saying there was no respect for the office, there was no respect for the speech that's, you know, codified. There's no respect for political differences, except for the speech itself was disrespectful, not just to the political jabs that were taken, but to reality. He talked about getting rid of fossil fuels in a decade. Folks, I travel quite a bit for my job. I do see fossil fuel being used. And I see like just in our state, we have massive farms. We're feeding the world. If we stop using fossil fuels, Within a decade, I think about two-thirds of the world population has to die because there is no electronic farm equipment. I don't think there's enough battery power or solar energy that's going to Do all that farming.
1: Well, here in Washington, our representatives, some of the representatives are working on trying to take out the dams. In a decade, we're going to lose fossil fuels, but they also want to tear out the dams. So where's the electricity going to come from?
0: Well, where's the energy going to come from? And of course, technology can change maybe in the next 10 years, but there is zero scientists out there realistically saying that we can feed the population. You know, we could lower our standard of living. We could turn off the TV, we could turn off the electronics, we could power down lighting systems all across the nation, and we'd still need fossil fuel just for food. And, and that's the thing. A lot of fossil fuel is used for food. One of the things going on in the Washington legislature right now is they're discussing, and we're going way off the topic today, kind of, except for there is some political malpractice here. One of the things they're talking about is natural-based biofuels for the airline industry, because we have like cafe standards for cars. We have ethanol that's added, corn fuel. And basically the only industry that's been untouched by all these carbon taxes and things, the cap and trades with carbon is the airline industry. And of course, a lot of that we know is because the global elites want to keep on flying to Davos and other places on their jets. So there's a bill in Washington state to allow for in the cap and trade carbon credits production of these biofuels here in Washington state. The biofuels are just additives to regular fuel. It's not getting rid of fossil fuels. It's just an additive to say that they're trying to move us towards carbon neutrality.
1: Carbon neutrality.
0: So we're getting it from plant-based, but how much fuel, right? How much diesel fuel, maybe some biofuel does it take to make this other biofuel for the aviation world? Now, of course, this is actually a bill that both Republicans and Democrats are supporting in Washington state, a bill for this biofuel for aviation, gas, and maybe it'll reduce emissions, but at what rate of subsidy? So we'll have to see how that works. Right now, it's just an idea they're talking about. Maybe these tax credits could go to a plant in Washington state if it's able to produce 20 million gallons. So we'll see when it gets there.
1: Well, here's what I hope. I hope that the additive doesn't have unknown repercussions on the inside workings of the engines, and then we have more planes go down. That's what I know.
0: Well, I think that there's a, a lot of regulatory hurdles that all this will go through so i I, i'm not really worried about that i'm more concerned with how much do we subsidize it is it really cleaning up the environment and i think right now that's what they're exploring because of course i think it was uh, nine to twelve percent of the united states carbon emissions is actually from airplanes that's a huge if you think about all of the things that happen with combustion engines with automobiles transporting us to and from work you think about all of the transit things out there that use fuel the rail systems if transportation emissions is that high for aircraft then maybe there is a good way to get it down i mean obviously you don't want to be totally against the environment In a a sense of saying, well, we're not going to accept any good technology because actually there are good things that have come up in recent decades, like the catalytic converter. It used to be that if you had a parking lot full of cars all running, you could barely breathe because of the fumes from all these old carbureted cars that got 10 miles to the gallon and there was nothing removing contaminants from their exhaust. And of course, they didn't run as lean as the newer cars. So you had these catalytic converters that did a great job in burning up that excess fuel. So you weren't having to breathe all those fumes. Anyways, back to the political or medical malpractice this Monday episode. And it's we'll unfortunate. Have you
1: fuming. <laughs> It'll have
0: you fuming. And I don't know what the actual catalytic converter here is, except for maybe draining the swamp because the truth is starting to come out. It's coming out at the local level and at the national level. I'm looking at some Epic Times articles here that are telling us some interesting news that Fauci says COVID-19 and influenza vaccines don't work well. And he's calling for improved shots. Now on this show, Mike and I years ago started cover before COVID started covering the efficacy of flu shots, because we had known people that had been injured by the flu shot, and maybe it was effective for some people, but the manufacturers and the CDC and even Some county governments were telling us that they were somewhere between 19 and 30%, depending on the year we reported on it, 19% effective. You're going to get a shot for 19% efficacy?
1: Mm, No. Yeah, probably. I'll take my chances.
0: Probably not. So Fauci says COVID and influenza vaccines don't work well. So if they don't work, you know, obviously all the mandates that were put into place probably don't need to occur. Another interesting thing, so that's Fauci, right? Wasn't he like the the god of the CDC?
1: I think so. I thought he was going away.
0: I don't know that he's going away. Not not, not anytime soon. I, I think he just changed who he's getting paid by.
1: Oh, of course.
0: Uh, well, and I think he does. He wanted to avoid some of the investigations. And so stepping down for a lot of people in political theater does that. Uh, unfortunately, the Center for Disease Control and Prevention has added COVID-19 vaccines to its routine immunization schedule for children and adults. And get this, folks. So Fauci, Mr. Vaccine himself, says that they don't work well, but you're going to inject them into not just your teenager for high school, we're talking about six-month-olds, and they're talking two doses. I don't know where the CDC is going with this because it's just not looking like there's going to be that many people that are interested. And And you go through the immunization schedule for birth to 15 months old. There's a lot of things in here, and I'm just going to go through. I'm not going to tell you at what month because there's a whole bunch of stuff on the chart I'm looking at, but hepatitis B, rotavirus, diphtheria, tetanus, pertussis, influenza type B, pneumococcal, Polio virus, that one's an obvious one. COVID nineteen, another influenza for an annual vaccine, and then uh, another influenza, measles, mumps, rubella, varicella, hepatitis A, tetanus. Th- th- they're saying to get another one of these shots. So there's so many shots that this little kid's going to be a pincushion
1: those poor kids you know and back when our parents were were growing up or maybe we should go back even further to our grandparents they didn't have that many shots and look at how long they're living Uh, some gentleman just celebrate his 102nd birthday at lilac lanes this last week 102nd birthday
0: yeah made the news i'm
1: sure he didn't get all those vaccines
0: and survive that long. Pretty amazing. Obviously, people are going to have a different feel for different kinds of vaccines. Some people get their flu shot every year and they think it works, right? Maybe it does. I don't know. Maybe it works for some... DNA types, maybe it depends on lots of different factors of your personal health care. But when I look at these shots and I'm thinking, okay, are they actually this effective if you need so many doses? Because I'm not going to go up into the adult range because we can't talk about the hundreds of vaccines that you'll get over your lifetime. But just birth to 15 months, the hepatitis B, you get a first, second, and third dose. So three doses in 15 months. You've got rotavirus, you've got another two doses. This diphtheria, tetanus, pertussis, you got four doses. You've got the influenza type B, they're talking up to four doses. And you know, pneumococcal, they're look, talking about up to four doses in 15 months. In 15 so months. I know that we want to protect people in their healthcare, but turning a child into a pincushion, I'm not sure we have the science to back that up, especially when. We have Fauci saying these things are not effective. We need them improved. If if they're not effective, then why are we keep injecting these into children? When of course we know that there is injury in some cases. Maybe it's a a, not a huge number, but there is injury. And if there isn't, we've got to look at this like a, a SWOT analysis: strength, weaknesses, opportunities, threats. What's the benefit? Maybe some of these vaccines do have a benefit, but right now we have a government that's telling us to take vaccines that are not effective and people are having reactions. And of course, we know with the COVID one, there's been many reports from many different news sites from all different political spectrums that there is major issues with blood clotting, myocarditis. That's the medical side of things. We're going to be looking at some political malpractice, but there's also some things that we can look at doing to changing the outcomes in politics and possibly police pursuits and crime here in Washington state. So we've got some local news on that. Uh, I know that we've got a piece from Seattle about government backing off of their vaccine mandates, so we're going to take a break. We want to thank God and you, the listeners, for the opportunity to continue the Right Spokane Perspective radio show and podcast programming. We sincerely thank Mike Fagan for 12 years of dedication to our listeners and guests of the Right Spokane Perspective, and we wish you well in your sabbatical and anticipate hearing from you again in the future. Listeners, it's because of your support we continue to bring you facts, commentary, and alerts on what's happening in local government, politics, and issues affecting us all. Please send your most generous support to Right Spokane Perspective, LLC, PO Box 7620, Spokane WA 99207. Thanks again and back to the show. And welcome back to Right Spokane Perspective. We're talking about political and medical malpractice this Monday. Shannon, something from Seattle. That something kinda, from Seattle. Yeah. That, that, that's stabbing almost.
1: Oh, no. It's not stabbing you anymore because Seattle, King County, will no longer require COVID vaccines for employees. The mandate established in 2021 is being lifted. King County and the city of Seattle will no longer require proof of vaccination against COVID-19 for employees, ending one of the final pandemic protections at either level of government.
0: Okay, so municipal government and at the county level, city level in Seattle are saying no more requirement. We've got to hire people. Obviously, the CDC says it's not an effective vaccine, except for when they're giving it to your kid, or you're standing in line to get them. But Fauci says they're not effective, and so... That government saying we got to hire more personnel for city and county government, that requirement is obviously hindering their recruiting efforts.
1: Well, sure. But of course, they don't attribute it to those reasons. They attribute it to the high level of vaccine boosters, the uptick in the lower levels of the community spread is the reason why they're lifting it. Basically, what it goes on to say is the city's terminations and retirements related to the vaccine mandate disproportionately impacted a few departments, including the already staff burdened Seattle police and fire departments.
0: Okay, so they are admitting recruiting efforts are lagging. Part of that is because of not only the people they got rid of because they wouldn't take the jab, but because they're not able to hire other people. From, you know, what they call lateral hires. They hire lateral from hires. other municipal areas and governments, and they're, they're running out of people that are willing to put up with a tyrannical employer that says, no, you have to take this experimental drug that obviously doesn't work, according to most every news source and medical source out there.
1: Right. So the spokesperson from Mayor Harrell's office said Monday uh, in total 174 employees had been, quote, separated, end quote, from the city as a result of the mandate and that those employees are allowed to apply for vacant positions at the city. So that's why they
0: said separated instead of terminated because they're hoping they're going to come back. They just have to go through the reapplication process. I
1: don't know. Basically, it says that they would not answer the question as to whether the city would specifically recruit those former employees or not so they're not going to go out looking for them but if they rehire they may put them through well this is this is kind of big news this is kind of big
0: news even when it relates to overtime here in the city of Spokane when we're talking about law enforcement and firefighters because we had massive overtime issues actually in the city of Spokane with police and fire due to the vaccine requirements. And that was actually just brought up the other day by city councilman Bingo, wasn't it? Yeah, Jonathan Bingle brought it up at the Minnehaha Neighborhood Council. And so we actually have something too on the local level to cover when it comes to the Neighborhood Council. And nice thing about the Neighborhood Council's folks is if you get involved with the Neighborhood Council, you can somewhat change the attitude of your city government because city officials do show up to these. Uh, we had... Uh, Councilman John- Jonathan Bingle, he had, we had staffers from the mayor's office there at the Minnehaha Neighborhood Council. There's Councilman
1: Cathcart's um, representative from his office.
0: His uh, legislative aide, right? Yes. And so you can be involved at the local level in that way. Look at a lot of different things. We had a lieutenant from the Spokane Police Department who was there talking about crime in our area and you know they can answer a, a plethora of questions having to do with policing and community safety. These things do matter and so the neighborhood council actually passed a resolution and I'm going to let Shannon go ahead and talk about some of the specifics.
1: Some of the specifics in there just basically laying out uh, we do know the city council on Monday night went ahead and passed a resolution of their own.
0: Well that was interesting cuz we didn't actually know that that occurred when the neighborhood council had their meeting this last Thursday but we were informed by councilman bingle that there was a the rules
1: were suspended so s- that he could go ahead and Well there was a
0: suspension of the rules I think for a different issue and so while the rules were suspended he wanted to get a resolution in there Good for him So yes. uh yeah a little bit of political strategy there that was good and and so I think we did add a piece from bingles resolution into the minnehaha neighborhood council resolution but we'll just go ahead and go write down these whereases and uh, this is the title is the resolution on the negligence of the governor regarding the north-south freeway construction and the minnehaha neighborhood
1: whereas residents of the minnehaha neighborhood continue to be negatively affected by the construction of the north-south freeway Whereas Washington State Governor Jay Inslee has proposed a transportation budget that could delay the North-South Freeway six years or more. Whereas a gas tax increase was negotiated by current State Representative Marcus Riccelli and former State Senator Michael Bumgardner to complete the North-South Freeway project, which we, the residents of Spokane, have and continue to pay the increased gas tax. Whereas, Spokane is the largest commercial and residential hub between Seattle and Minneapolis and is also a trade route to Canada. Whereas, WashDOT predicts that it will reduce auto emissions by 3.6% annually and save a million gallons of fuel a year. Whereas, Spokane arterial streets, especially Market Street, Nevada Hamilton, and Division Highway, suffer significant damages and congestion due to lack of prioritizing the freeway's completion. Whereas the city of Spokane's transportation budget for street preservation suffers, and residents also suffer damage to their automobiles and fuel economy.
0: Now in in that, there was a study that came out that Spokane residents have about six hundred dollars damage to their vehicles every year because of the potholes the bad roads the ruts the big bumps when you're crossing intersections so this is a real problem especially on those corridors that you mentioned because of the heavy traffic that they get. Basically, it's not commuters going to and from work and that's their path, it's that they have to use these roads because we don't have the North-South Freeway. Instead, we can move that traffic to the freeway so they're getting from place to place faster at a higher rate of fuel economy and the freeways constructed to handle that kind of traffic load whereas our arterial streets that are lacking in their infrastructure they're not actually even paved to handle the high numbers of traffic that we have. The city, many of those corridors need to be completely reconstructed by private contractors because the city just keeps on doing grind and overlays that falls apart every couple of years.
1: Well, they just weren't meant to handle the heavy loads that semi-trucks can haul going through town. Well, and
0: it's it's not just the semi-trucks, it's also the municipal government vehicles and, and garbage trucks and dump trucks and all of those, all of the vehicles, even cars, when you're talking about the traffic loads and when cars are sitting in backed up traffic in the same spot, when the asphalt's hot, it does more damage. So we got to get these vehicles onto the concrete freeway and get them moving.
1: And then let's deal with the rest of it. Whereas, since construction began in 2001, 606 pieces of property have been purchased by the Washington State Department of Transportation and 533 buildings have been demolished. In short, the freeway is coming. The North Spokane Corridor 1.5 billion Billion price tag is fully paid for largely through the state's gas tax. More than half of it is built connecting Hilliard to Wandermere.
0: Now that's actually out of a spokesman review article back in 2018. The reason why that was used in this resolution was because the facts were laid out for us in why those taxes were being increased. How long have we been paying those taxes? Well, this was in 2018. The deal was struck. So we've been paying that increase already for almost five years.
1: Five years. And they just went up again in January.
0: And, and well, except for they went up in January. Well, that's a different topic because <laughs> we don't know where all that money is going to be going yet, but it's not coming to the North South Freeway. All right, next.
1: Whereas residents and businesses have been displaced and negatively affected during a housing shortage, WashDOT purchased properties after the housing market crash, taking advantage of market timing and residents. Quote More than 500 homes and 115 businesses, many of them in one of Spokane's poorest and most ethnically diverse neighborhoods and that's out of the spokesman review in 1997 uh,
0: right so basically what this piece is this whereas is discussing obviously we want government to operate more like a business and make smart decisions but what they did was they purchased a bunch of the the properties after the market crashed and so you had a whole bunch of residents that were being eminent domained when maybe they were getting less than what they owed on their house or maybe they were getting just what they owed on their house, and they weren't left with enough resources to relocate. And so it really did displace people. It just didn't have them move. They didn't sell their property. It actually displaced many of those residents and businesses that still are not whole because the government took advantage of the low market.
1: Moving on, whereas vacant Washdot properties for the north-south corridor have become homeless encampments, refuse, and areas of increasing crime and theft residentially and at area businesses whereas access for tens of thousands of spokane residents to work and home have been negatively impacted due to permanent and temporarily closed streets especially wellesley avenue which according to WashDOT, was to reopen in 2022 and is still currently closed creating congestion pollution and safety issues on other arterials and residential streets Whereas the continued delay in this project has increased traffic around parks and schools, negatively impacting safety for children, families, and crossing guards. Whereas residential neighborhoods have experienced reduced safety as commuters speed down residential streets to escape congestion.
0: Part of the thing, before we finish this out, part of the reason why we're reading this to you is because you could actually go to the Minnehaha Neighborhood Council's Facebook page and take this resolution To your neighborhood. And it's not just about the resolution about the North South Freeway. This is the kind of thing that you can do when it has to do with police pursuits or crime or things happening in our local communities. We can't solve the China balloon problem at the local level as individuals but we can go to our neighborhood councils and try to adopt policies at the neighborhood level and resolutions to tell our city government where we as citizens want our government to go okay so the the last two whereas is the north south freeway offers essential transportation improvements to the spokane region completion of The connection to I-90 will also enable construction of several affordable housing projects and mitigate the impacts of marginalized areas of Spokane through leasing of unused public right-of-way for housing purposes enacted in 2022 and codified in RCW 4712.380. Now, this piece actually was somewhat adopted from the version that the city council looked at that uh, councilman bingle brought forward last monday we added that last minute okay so the last one is whereas the project is ranked 19 out of 43 on the congressional high priority corridor list of the national highway systems when completed the the corridor is expected to carry over 150,000 vehicles per day that's from congress so our state gets transportation dollars from the federal government and we're not Seeing them come over to the east side. Here's where we're resolved. So, this, this neighborhood, this was uh, adopted unanimously. There was no nays on this. Everybody was a yay in adopting this. Now, therefore, be it resolved that the Minnehaha Neighborhood Council and neighborhood is calling on Governor Jay Inslee to act in fully funding the North South Freeway to its connection to I 90. Now, That's therefore, lit- that the legislature and executive branch. Act on promises paid for by the people of our region to allocate funds to the completion of the North-South Freeway to its connection at I-90. That the people of this neighborhood and affected commuters in the Spokane area want this project completed and to be relieved of the constant construction activities in a timely manner, not waiting until 2045. That taxpayers in the Spokane area should receive tax rebates for an incomplete project we've already paid for. Those rebates should continue until the project is completed. That we will not tell our children and grandchildren what we were told by our parents and grandparents, In quotes, we'll never live to see it finished even though we paid for it twice, end quotes. One of the shortest sections of freeway in the state, now 75 years in the making. Last point is We expect the legislature and Governor Jansley to stop diverting our tax dollars and finish the North-South Freeway connection to I-90. So that was the resolution for the Minnehaha neighborhood. We're hoping other neighborhoods will adopt that resolution as well. And I encourage you folks, go to your neighborhood councils and look at what you have to do. Minnehaha neighborhood, actually we don't have a huge crime problem, but there are crime bills That your neighborhood can support and tell the legislature, tell your area representatives as a neighborhood, you want to see these things change. And the neighborhood councils are lacking in participation. So just you and a few friends from your church uh, that live down the street, a few family members that live in the neighborhood, you can change dynamics in your neighborhood Just by getting involved.
1: And if you can't make it to one of those neighborhood meetings, you don't have to be a neighborhood to go to the Minnehaha uh, Facebook page and grab a hold of this resolution. Grab it, take the wording, change it to fit your needs, your opinions, and what you want to say. and send it to all of your elected officials. You can go to ledge.wa.gov, click on House of Representatives. It will give you a list of all of them. You can click on the Senators, House of the Senate Representatives, and if you click on their name, it'll give you their email address. Send it to all of them.
0: Well, it's best to send it to the ones in your district and the ones that are in the surrounding area. I'm not so sure that we need to send these kinds of local issues over to the other side of the state because that's the thing. The other side of the state doesn't really care what our issues are just like the other side of the country washington dc for the most part doesn't care what our local issues are and that's why we've got to be engaged we've got to be informed and then we have to take action and let our voices be heard that's why we have a first amendment and that's why it's first that being said we're out here today we'll be back at you in in your face again tomorrow
1: Bye bye